0: Congregation, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Haggai, chapter 2. This can be found on page 1469 in your pew Bibles. And Haggai is that short little book near the end of the Old Testament. If you're counting from the end, you've got Malachi, then Zechariah, then Haggai. This morning we'll read the first nine verses of chapter 2 of Haggai. But before we do so, let's go before our God in prayer. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word here this morning, that you would breathe new life into us through the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would work through in us all through your word, that it might change our hearts, increase our faith, and draw us closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you has left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Thus far, the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. Congregation, in the year 1791, on his deathbed, John Wesley wrote a letter. And he wrote this letter to William Wilberforce, a member of the British Parliament. I'm sure you recognize the name Wilberforce. Right? He was the man who fought hard to end slavery in the British Empire. But in that fight, Wilberforce was met with fierce opposition. And in his letter to Wilberforce, John Wesley wrote this, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and of devils. But, if God be for you, Who can be against you? Go in the name of God and in the power of his might. John Wesley wrote this letter in order to encourage William Wilberforce in the fight against slavery. We all recognize the importance of encouragement, don't we? Right, that's why we see a crowd at the finish line of a marathon cheering on each runner as they go by, encouraging them to keep going, to finish strong, to not give up. That's why we write encouraging notes to our children or say encouraging things to our employees. Encouragement is important because when people become discouraged, when they feel ready to give up, some words of encouragement can give them what they need in order to keep going. And that's what's happening in our passage here this morning. The remnant of Israel had become discouraged and God, through the prophet Haggai, provided them with encouragement in order that they might continue in their work. And so through that message, we see the theme of our passage this morning. Because God provides encouragement to discouraged people, we can do the work set before us. And as we examine this theme, we'll look at both the discouraged people and the encouragement provided. But first we'll look at these discouraged people. And we see them in verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> now in the first chapter of Haggai, we see that the remnant of Israel had returned from Babylon. Right? They've come back from captivity. But then they had grown lazy. And the Lord rebuked them in Haggai 1 because they were not rebuilding the temple. But these people repented, and they began to work on the temple once more. And as we come to chapter 2, we see that they've been working on the temple for about a month. Right. The first chapter ends on the 24th day of the 6th month, and the second chapter be- begins on the 21st day of the 7th month. About a month has passed, and these people in that month have become discouraged. And they're discouraged, first of all, by their circumstances. Because rebuilding the temple is not a task that could be completed overnight. It wasn't going to be restored with a snap of the fingers. No, it was going to take a lot of work, a lot of long, hard, slow work. The temple, when they first came back, would have been lying in ruins, and so they couldn't even really begin by building, right? They first had to clear the rubble of the former temple structure, and then they had to gather the materials that they would need to actually begin building. They didn't have a Home Depot just down the road. They had to go out into the hills and find what they needed. And keep in mind that this isn't a huge group of people either. It's a small remnant of the nation. It's just the folks that have been allowed to come back from captivity. It's a small number of people working to accomplish a huge task. And so after a month of hefting large pieces of lumber and trying to move these big stones inch by inch, reality was beginning to set in. Right? It was beginning to dawn on them how huge this task actually was and how little progress they had actually made over the past month. And their, now their progress wouldn't have been helped by the fact that over this past month they would have had to stop their work for religious festivals. The seventh month of the Jewish year was one of the busiest on their calendar. It would be as if they're trying to work over Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. Right? They had the Feast of Trumpets. They have the Day of Atonement and they have the Feast of Booths to celebrate. And so each time they would have to pause their work for a day, sometimes for a week, in order to observe each one. We're finally making some progress, and oh great, we have to stop again. It would be frustrating. And so at this point, at this point in the month, as they look back on how far they've come and they see in the distance how far they've got to go, they're discouraged. It's discouraging to us when we have such a large task ahead of us and we work and we work and we work and we feel as if we've gotten nowhere, right? If you're cleaning out the attic or the garage. Kids, if you're cleaning out your room, you, t- you work for a while, you work up a sweat, you take a step back and, oh, is that it? That's all I've done? It looks like I've done nothing. All this work and I've hardly made a dent. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's frustrating. It's, it's discouraging. That's what this remnant is feeling. They're discouraged by their circumstances, by their lack of progress, and by this huge task left ahead of them. But they're also discouraged by something else. They're discouraged by comparison. God Himself points us out through the prophet Haggai, as he says in verse 3: Ask them, who of you is left? Who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? God points out that when compared to the former temple in all of its glory, what this what this remnant sees in front of them right now, it's nothing. Now this comparison seems pretty obvious to us, right? You've got the splendor of Solomon's temple versus a pile of rubble, but. Put yourself in their shoes, right? Put yourself in the sandals of an old man or an old woman who had seen the beauty of that original temple when they were young, who had that memory in their mind's eye when they went away to Babylon for those 70 years or so, and then they came back to Jerusalem, and they find it desolate, in ruins. Right? The pride of your nation, evidence of the presence of God within your midst, destroyed. It's enough to make you heartbroken. It's enough to make you weep. And that's exactly what they did. In the book of Ezra, when the remnant first started to rebuild the temple, the priests and the Levites, they praised God, and they gave thanks to him, and all the people shouted with a loud voice. But it also tells us that the old men who had seen that first house, they wept with a loud voice. They compared what they saw in front of them with what they had originally seen. And that contrast was so striking that they wept. They wept because they remembered the former glory of the temple. They wept because they longed for the good old days. They longed for that former glory. Now we've all experienced a longing for the good old days, haven't we? Right. No matter what stage of life you're in, you have some idea of the good old days in mind. If you're in middle school or high school, you look back on the days of elementary before you had all that homework. If you're uh, married, you might look back on the good old days of being single. If you're if you have kids, you might look back on the good old days when it was just you and your spouse before diapers and nap times. If your kids are moved out, you might look back on the good old days when your house was bustling with activity. Whatever situation in life we are in, we all have times in our lives that we think back and think are the good old days. And we have that in our society too, don't we, right? We, we long for the good old days before everyone was on their phones, when everyone was nicer to each other, when life moved at a slower pace. In fact, just a couple years ago, we had a whole presidential campaign based on the good old days, right? Make America Great Again. It was a longing for the good old days. As a society we compare now to some time in the past and we long for the good old days. It's no different for the church. Right? We can look back over all of church history and we long for the good old days. Maybe the days of the apostles. The early church of Acts 2 where they had everything in common, where they had fellowship, they broke bread together, and God added to their number daily. Maybe the Protestant Reformation. Those are the good old days for us Reformed folk, right? With Luther and Calvin highlighting again the doctrines of grace. Maybe the days of the Great Awakenings in early America where many people believed in Jesus and there were huge revivals. All of these periods of church history are wonderful times and the Holy Spirit worked powerfully in them. And they can seem like the good old days to us. However, when we look at these periods of church history and we wax nostalgic about them, when we hold them up as the best times ever, then we can easily get discouraged in our current situation. When we compare our current situation with those other ones that seem better, we can get discouraged. When we look at the church around us today caving to the culture, we can get discouraged. Or When we look at empty pews in our church, we can get discouraged. We can easily get discouraged by making these comparisons. So let me ask you, are you discouraged this morning? Are you discouraged in the task before you? Now, we all have different tasks in the Christian life. Some are called to serve, some are called to teach, some are called to witness. Are you tempted to despair because of either your circumstances or comparisons? You may look at the task ahead of you and you might wonder how you'll ever get it done. It may look insurmountable, it may look impossible. And you may have been involved in your task for a month, like the remnant. Or you may have been involved in it much longer, and yet it still seems like you've gotten nowhere. Or you start comparing, and you get discouraged that way. right? You think to yourself, boy, I don't have her people skills. Boy, I'm not nearly as eloquent as he is. I'll never be as good as they are. If if that's you this morning, if you're feeling discouraged in the task that God has given you, then you are in the same boat as these Israelites. They were discouraged in their task because of circumstances and comparisons, and yet it's to these discouraged people that God provided encouragement. (coughs) And that's our second point: the encouragement. And it's what we're going to look at next. And this encouragement that we see is provided in two ways. By both commands and promises. In order to encourage his discouraged people, God provided them with both encouraging commands and encouraging promises. And we come to the commands first. These are found in verses 4 and 5. The first command is to be strong. And it's repeated three times. It says, But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. God commands his discouraged people to be strong. Now that Hebrew word, chazak, denotes a strength that is both physical and emotional. And God commands his, his discouraged people to face their task and accomplish it by commanding them to be strong, both physically and emotionally. Now, this is not the first time in Scripture that people facing a large task have been encouraged to be strong. Right when Moses gave instructions to Joshua, who was going to take over as leader of Israel, what did he tell him? Be strong. When Joshua was giving instructions to the next generation, he told them, be strong. When David was giving instructions to Solomon, who was going to build the temple, he told him, be strong. In each of those situations, when the people of God faced a huge task, they were told to be strong. It wasn't going to be easy. It it wasn't going to happen overnight. No, it was going to be tough. And so to provide encouragement, they're commanded to be strong. But that's not all they're commanded to do. Right? Being strong, as we noted, can speak of an internal attitude of preparing one heart, one's heart and mind for the task. But Haggai gives the remnant another command. Work! Right? Don't just sit there being strong. The strength has a purpose. You're supposed to work with it. Interestingly enough, when David gave those instructions to Solomon about building the temple, he combined these two commands as well. First Chronicles 28 says, Be strong. And work And by using these same commands, Haggai is encouraging these people in their task. This is a reminder that God's people, they have faced these huge tasks ahead of them in their past, and they've successfully faced them, right? They, they've looked difficult circumstances right in the eye, and they didn't shrink. No, they rose to the task. They did the work, even though it was difficult. Joshua led the people after Moses died. Solomon built the temple. They both did the work they were encouraged to do. And now this remnant is being encouraged in the very same way. However, this encouragement is not simply a reminder to remember those inspiring examples. Right? Haggai's not saying those guys did it, so you can do it too. Because that would lead to more unhealthy comparisons. Right? I'm no Joshua. I'm no Solomon. So we see that it's not a call to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and face their giants and gain the victory. Rather, rather, it's a call to trust in the Lord. The end of verse 4 says, Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And there's the basis for the command. Work, because I am with you. They can do this task that is before them because God is with them. They aren't working on their own, but God is with them. His spirit remains in their midst, and so they're able to do the work. And that's the funny thing about looking to the good old days. Because that same promise was made to Joshua and to Solomon when they faced their tasks. Right? Joshua was told, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. David told Solomon, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. Right, These men of the good old days, they didn't do their great works because they were so awesome in and of themselves. They were only able to do them because God was with them. We can forget that when we get discouraged. We can think that it's all up to us, that the success of what we do depends entirely on us, that we need to do everything perfectly, that if we're sharing the gospel, we need to say the right things in exactly the right order so that the person will believe. We're forgetting that we're only able to do these tasks that are before them, before us because God is with us. It's not because we're so awesome in and of ourselves and we have everything put together. No, it's because God will work through us in order to accomplish his purpose. That was the promise that was held out to the remnant in these commands. Be strong and work because God was with them. And God was with them because of his faithfulness to his covenant. God tells the remnant, Work, for I am with you. And then verse 5, According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. God had covenanted with his people that that his presence would remain among them. And even though Israel messed up again and again, God remained faithful to his covenant promise. We sang about his faithfulness earlier. And this remnant was proof of his faithfulness. Right? The kingdoms of Israel and Judah, they were taken into captivity. It looked like the covenant was done. But God brought a remnant back. God was still faithful to his covenant, and so his presence was still among his people, enabling them to do the work that was before them. God's presence remained with his people because of his faithfulness to his covenant. And therefore, his people didn't need to fear. That's the third encouraging command that's given. At the end of verse 5, the prophet says, Fear not. They didn't have to fear as they stared at that uncompleted temple lying in ruins, wondering how in the world they were going to fix it up. They didn't have to fear because God was with them and He would work through them in order to accomplish His purposes. Now, they also didn't have to fear because of the encouragement provided by God in the form of three different promises. We've looked at the encouraging commands, and now we're going to look at the encouraging promises as we find them in verses 6 through 9. Now, the first promise is that God will provide the glory of the temple. The remnant was supposed to do the work of rebuilding this temple, but God was going to be the one who would provide its glory. And he's going to do this by shaking the nations. Verse 6 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And the desired of all nations will come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. He's going to shake the nations. And history shows us that God did, in fact, shake the nations. Right The ruling powers in that area changed hands from the Persian Empire at the time of our text to the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great to the Roman Empire by the time of Jesus. The nations are going to shake. the ruling powers are going to undergo a transformation, and God's temple is going to be the beneficiary. <clears throat> Excuse me. And history once again shows us that God's temple was filled with the treasures of the nations. Under Herod, the temple was filled with riches, and the grandeur of the temple was plain to see. Mark 13, Jesus was leaving the temple, and one of the disciples said, Look! What wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings! Herod's temple was a sight to behold. And so we also see the historical fulfillment of the second promise. Verse 9 says, The ladder of glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, the good old days, they they, they were good and all, but the new days are going to be great, right? The glory of that old temple that you old men were weeping over, it's going to be overshadowed by the glory of the new temple that you're going to start building. That would be an encouragement to keep working, wouldn't it? Right, this place was once beautiful, but if you keep working, you're going to make it better than it ever was. That's a great encouragement to the remnant, and the third promise would also have been quite encouraging. Right? The end of verse 9 says, And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The temple was lying in ruins, evidence that this place had not known peace in a long time. Right? It had known war and distress and trouble, but it hadn't known peace. But here, God promises that in this place he will give peace in Jerusalem, which literally in the Hebrew means city of shalom, city of peace. There will be peace in this region once the temple is restored. All three of these promises, that God will provide the glory by shaking the nations, that the latter glory will exceed the former glory, and that there will be peace, all three of these promises would bring these discouraged workers encouragement as they went about their task. Now at this point you can say, well, that's great, David, but how does that encourage me? Right? I'm not trying to rebuild the temple. God has different work for me. And to that I say, good point. Right? These commands and promises were given to a specific group of people in a specific place. But 2 Timothy 3 tells us that all Scripture, even these verses in the small book of Haggai, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so these commands and promises of encouragement, they can provide encouragement to us as well, equipping us for the work ahead. And they do so when we realize that although these promises were fulfilled in history with the rebuilding of the temple, they also pointed beyond the physical temple itself. Because the temple that they began to, be, to rebuild spurred on by this encouragement. It did become great, but it wasn't lasting. It would eventually be destroyed in 70 AD, never to be rebuilt. <coughs> but scripture tells us of another temple, doesn't it? In John chapter 2, Jesus says to the Jews, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They thought he was talking about that magnificent temple that began to be rebuilt during the days of Haggai. But he was talking about his body, right? On the cross, as the earth was dark and was shaken, that temple too was despised and degraded. Its condition looked hopeless. And yet, after three days, Christ rose again, and the latter glory of that temple exceeded the former glory. And in that place, at the cross, The Lord Almighty gave peace. Peace between God and man. And although that peace has been given and the latter glory already exceeds the former, it's not yet complete. Right? we, We look forward to the day when the kingdom of God will come in all of its glory, when the nations will be shaken and God will bring forth a great multitude from every nation, filling his house with glory. When the latter glory of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb will be so brilliant that there will no longer be any need for a physical temple. When God will bring everlasting peace to his people, dwelling with them forever. This is how the promises of Haggai find their ultimate fulfillment. And this is the hope in which we can find encouragement. And therefore, on the basis of these promises, these commands are given to us as well. Be strong. Work. Fear not. The circumstances of your life may be discouraging. Whatever work God has given you in his kingdom to do may seem overwhelming. right As insurmountable as rebuilding the temple, look to that group of remnants. Or as impossible as ending slavery, look to William Wilberforce. Your task may look difficult. It may be discouraging. Looking at your children and wondering how you're going to raise them up to love the lord looking at that sunday school class or catechism class in front of you and wondering how you're going to teach the truth of the bible to them so that they will understand it looking at the people in your district wondering how you're going to help them with the issues in their lives when you've got struggles of your own looking at your neighbor and wondering how you're going to show them the love of christ when they show you nothing but a cold shoulder looking at your caretakers or your coworkers, or anyone else in your life that God has laid it on your heart that you should share the gospel with them, looking at them and wondering how you're ever going to be bold enough to do it. Your circumstances may be overwhelming, and that can make you discouraged. But if you are discouraged in your kingdom work this morning, if you can relate with these Israelites, then hear this encouragement from our God. Be strong. Work for I am with you. Fear not because my spirit remains in your midst. And you can undertake your task because God has promised that he will work through his people in order to accomplish his purposes. You're not doing this on your own. Right? Just as he used those people back then to build his temple, God will work through his people even now in order to build his church. He works through ordinary people facing difficult tasks, encouraging them all the way to do the work set before them. And he will work through his people to build his kingdom so that what looks despised and degraded right now, what looks insurmountable, will one day shine with a glory that far exceeds anything that's ever come before it. And so, as you look at your circumstances and you make comparisons and you become discouraged, don't stay there. Hear these words of Haggai again and the encouragement that he brought to Israel through these commands and these promises and keep going. Don't quit. Don't give up on the work even though it's hard and it looks impossible. Because God provides encouragement, to discouraged people, we can do the work set before us. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord our God, our circumstances may look difficult. You know that we have become discouraged in the work that you have before us, and Lord, we pray that you would continue to encourage us, that you would equip us for the task ahead. And Lord, we pray that as we go through our lives, that we would not shrink away from the work that you have for us, but that we would tackle it head on, going in the power that you have given us. And Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.